sometimes in a class I'll be like, you know, do this twist or whatever. And then I'm like, you know what, let's actually do the, the less intense version of this pose. And you know what, let's all do it. Not, let's not, let, not just let this person do it because they have a back problem or they're older. For solidarity, let's all just do that version. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today, I'm talking to Kai Muhammad Lightwell. Kai is a yoga teacher originally from Newark, New Jersey. She's traveled to India, Mexico, and South America to hone her skills with some of the best practitioners and also to teach. She teaches all levels from children to elders and focuses on playful practice with an emphasis on longevity and alignment. Her classes pull from colorful imagery, metaphors, and musicality. Kai lives in New Jersey with her husband, Corey, and their two young children. Recently, I was lucky enough to join one of Kai's virtual yoga classes from my living room. I've done YouTube videos of yoga classes before, but I've never done a live virtual class, and I was really hesitant about it. But a friend of mine takes classes with Kai in person, normally, under normal circumstances. But because of this COVID-19 pandemic, Kai started offering these virtual classes and my friend said, you should totally join. And I was so struck by how caring and inclusive Kai was as a teacher and how the language she used felt so vivid during class and how the movements felt almost like dancing at times. And I was just really struck by how powerful the class was. And then At the end of the class, Kai brought everyone together for a little sharing circle to just talk about how we were doing. And it just felt like this community, and she was so kind, and I just felt really good. My intention originally was to talk to Kai about how to cultivate a healthy home yoga practice, especially during this time when a lot of people are staying at home and yoga studios are closed. But we started talking about Kai's childhood and her father and her first experiences of taking yoga classes when she was a a recent college grad living in Brooklyn. And it really became a conversation about belonging and how Kai hasn't always felt that she belonged and how she's become the yoga teacher she always needed and wanted who wants everyone to genuinely feel like they belong and she does whatever she can to make that happen. And we also talked about the freedom that Kai feels teaching from her living room now to be her full self and have her full self belong in the yoga class as well. I found this conversation so powerful and moving and I learned a lot from it because Kai is a great teacher just as much as she's a great student as she says in the conversation. I hope you enjoy it and maybe someday you can hop into one of Kai's virtual yoga classes. You can find her on Instagram at Kai underscore like underscore fly. Take care, everyone. Kai, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for having me. This is is really nice to be here. I'm curious, like, if you can remember what your understanding of yoga was before you took your first class. My first yoga class really sucked. I mean, I I think I took a yoga class at, like, New York sports club or something and like somewhere in like Cobble Hill or something like that. And I just remember feeling actually like really repelled by it the first time because I, the teacher was like using all these terms. And it was very flowery, like lift your chest and let your heart flower open and <laughs> you know, all this stuff. And I was just like, what I'm coming from more an athletic background or, you know, I'm just kind of like, what does that mean to let my, my heart flower open? Like, and I didn't have the vocabulary to really keep up and, and know what I was supposed to do next. So there was kind of that, that beginner's mind of like looking around the room a bunch and just being like, what the hell are we doing? Um, so I remember that very, my very, very, very first class, I, I literally have like blocked it out because I just, it was like a throwaway experience for me. And I always consider my first real class being one in, you know, in Brooklyn, maybe a, a couple of years later, where I really was like, okay, this is it. Mm. What did your life look like at the time when you took that first class? I think that when I took my first yoga class, I was in the throes of, you know, trying to find myself post-college, you know, after graduating from Wesleyan at like 22, 23 I just, yeah, I just turned 23, I think. Um, 
And I had gotten into the service industry, so I was hosting and then serving at that time at Tribeca Grand down in, in Tribeca, which is now called the Roxy Hotel. Um, it's still there. It's a cool, it's a cool spot if people want to go. But um, I was there and kind of really, kind of cutting my teeth on this in this new world, like living on my living in Brooklyn and like a massage parlor, like literally like you know how you go into like a small room to get a massage. That's like that was my room and board, three hundred dollars a month, like. We didn't have a ceiling. Like my had a roommate who was just like on the other. It was like something out of a movie. And now the back, I'm like, that was hilarious. I had slept on a massage table for a whole year, um, oh and gosh. it was kind of like, yeah, I just needed to like, I really, really wanted to to leave New Jersey. I really wanted to move to New York, where all my other friends from college had kind of all landed. And um, so I landed this really cool job in this in Tribeca and was doing that. You know, making a lot of money, which is sixteen dollars an hour plus tip. Um, and, and yeah, this is like 08, 07. So yeah. And then I was, yeah, I was doing that. I was staying up very late a lot. <laughs> um, also trying to learn how to become a DJ and, and try to model and, and kind of crack into that world too. So there was a lot of like moving parts and pieces, I guess what you would think of as kind of like, yeah, postgraduate finding, finding my way. And, and I guess yoga is just kind of like really fell into my lap at the right moment. But my first yoga classes were in, were in Brooklyn and were in Williamsburg, which was, I always have like such a fond, rosy colored, you know, visual of the, the Williamsburg of, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years ago, mm. because at that time there weren't very many yoga studios and there wasn't a lot of foot traffic and there weren't murals and Bushwick wasn't a thing and, um, or it was its own thing, but it wasn't the thing that it is now. And so it was like, right when that hipster vibe, right before the, the dawn of that, the pre-dawn of that. So it was really, it's really a, a special experience. And, you know, a lot of people that I met during those days, you know, we're closer to 40 now. We still very much um, feel connected because we like, we're in those sweaty studios practicing together. And I read that you, I read a, an article for Newark Pulse uh, that mm-hmm. did a profile on you and they asked about your path from growing up in Newark to yoga. And I don't know if you remember this because I, I think this article is from it was a while ago, a yeah. couple years ago. <laughs> but um, you said, uh, I thought this was so interesting. You said, my path from North Newark to yoga has been a winding one. In a way, those two words, Newark and yoga, seem diametrically opposed. Yet when I think back to the values of my childhood and growing up down the street from Branch Brook Park, I begin to see how those two words relate. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, yeah, that was like maybe like literally like seven years ago or something. Yeah. Like. But um, yeah. But I just thought that was really interesting. And I was just wondering if you could maybe unpack it a little bit more and talk about like, was there, was there a seed of the yogi in you as a child growing up in Newark? Mm. Wow. Well, it's really, um, I'm really happy that you shared that, that, um, that little excerpt with me, it's like, yeah, it's really powerful because there's definitely that connection. I mean, Brentshaw Park is one of the oldest parks in America and, and the same brothers who did like, you know, um, Prospect Park and Central Park also designed it. So it's this beautiful layout. It's sprawling. It's huge. There's the most cherry blossoms like in North America there. So it's this beautiful like bastion, you know what I mean, of nature right in the middle of Newark, New Jersey, which in the 80s and 90s when I was living there was very... Um, was very had a lot of urban decay and was very had you know it's even now still you know signs of the of the rebellion that happened in the late 60s which is now like 50 plus years ago you know abandoned buildings and things of that nature a lot of black and brown people kind of the remnants of the italians leaving but um mostly black and brown latinos so it was a really interesting like setup i guess and a contrast to you know, kind of like not having any backyard or front yard and then like being able to walk, you know, five minutes. And then all of a sudden you're like in Branchwood Park, which is like beautiful. And um, my dad, who is still with us, barely, but um, who's still with us, is really, you know, I feel like he really instilled in me at a very young age the, um, the importance of like connecting with nature and really looking at a space and design and like seeing is there litter on the ground and like pick that up and put that and throw that in the garbage that like when you look at this it's like a picture and at a young age I started to kind of be trained in like seeing nature like like a beautiful landscape drawing and then you know we would walk a bunch all the time because all we could do was like walk around the park we didn't have a lot of like extracurricular activities and you know we were low low income and you know we're on welfare 
all that stuff, but having, you know, rich in spirit, you could say. Um, but so my dad, you know, we would get tired because we're little, little kids. And he would, uh, you know, have us like take your shoes off. And we're like, we're going to put our feet on the grass. And it's like, yeah, put like, let's walk in the grass. Let's put your foot into the brook and like feel the water. Um, it's okay. Like, and you would, and like lay down. And so we were kind of learning kind of the beginning stages of like meditation and the, of walking meditation and like connecting with nature, even though we, it was everything else aside from that was kind of really walled in, you know, like our house, our small three bedroom apartment and all the cement and the concrete and the broken glass and all of that was very much what the optics were usually, except for these, you know, hours on the weekends or after school where that's where we would be, you know, and playing, you know, in the playground and things of that nature. So I think that really did kind of crack me open with the ideals that like my soul really, really needed. Like I need nature. And, and now, even though I'm like a city girl, technically I'm very much a country person. You know what I mean? Like I, I hunger for that. And, um, you know, my family also being part of the great migration, which was roughly from like 1915 to like the seventies, where like millions of African-Americans are coming up from the South, you know, Jim Crow South, looking for opportunity, looking for industry, looking for different things that didn't involve, you know, just being a housemaid essentially, or, you know, and so my parents were part of that, you know, and, and they were kind of coming up from the South, which was way more rural and, you know, the sticks and kind of, you know, living closer to the, the elements. And so I felt like, you know, those visits to Branchwood Park at a young age were almost very cyclical and also very healing for my father probably as well to be like, yeah, we're in the city. I didn't grow, he didn't grow up in the city at that level. You know, he was from Norfolk, but, and so I think for him, it probably was very healing too, to just make sure that we understood the importance of, of nature and, and um, yeah, to kind of refocus us. Mm. I can see how that connection to nature and that kind of mindfulness that you're talking about, um, really connects to your yoga practice. And I'm curious about the values that were important in your family or in your childhood that you see as represented in your yoga practice as well. Mm. Wow. Wow. It kind of gave me a visual, honestly, uh, Victoria, like it made me think of when later on when I did end up going to, to boarding school, I, I remember getting really heavy into, you know, art, and doing batiks and, you know, listening to like Lauren Hill a lot, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and she has a song called like everything is everything. And, and even now I'm like, why did that resonate with me so much? But as when I was a young kid or, you know, maybe in my, when I became a young teenager, I remembered like really feeling like everything is everything. And I did, you know, different batiks about this visual creating this kind of like urban sprawl where there were skyscrapers and like and little, an industry industrial area. And then, the very tall batik, the rest of it was, was just sky and the, the sun, you know, and then kind of like creating a balance between, you know, the human experience, which was represented by all of this, like all of the conglomerates of like houses and apartments and windows, and then having there be this really expansiveness of air that actually were equal in the, in the, in the batik. And I still had that batik, you know, I was, I was literally 15 years old and, you know, so it was a little while ago, but I think that, for me, the more I learned about yin and yang and, uh, you know, and the balance that um, we're trying to strike a lot of the time with yoga, with the yoking, you know, with the different, the multi-directions of reaching up and also rooting down and um, the inhales and the exhales, like that constant idea of balance. I think that um, being, that was something that was instilled in me from seeing nature and, and seeing that like, yeah, like certain things suck and, and maybe we don't have all the things I want. I can't take classes for this because we don't have the money and we don't want, you know, pre-internet time. And I, I would have moments of like really feeling quite lost and kind of like have a despair. But then I also have these really great moments of feeling like really connected to like my siblings and my family and, and really connected to, to black culture and to music and to you know the birds that I'm seeing and the nature and the trees and, you know, seeing myself represented in nature, it felt like my dad would always say this cool thing of like, you know, um, you know, look at the trees like from a distance on like a summer day where you'd be like, look at, look at how the trees look like an Afro. Like they look like mm -hmm. your hair. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I always remember that. And I remember being like, wow, it does look like me. And it kind of, again, like kind of really opens my, my mind up in such a big way of like, we are represented in nature, even if we don't feel like we're represented in the world and the outward world, the outward experience of what we're seeing on TV. 
you know, and even in the yoga world, that's still very much the case. You know, I mean, I think in the last, you know, five years, it's changed a lot with inclusivity and, and like pushback. But, you know, when I first started practicing yoga, it was like very, I was always the tallest person, always the most curvy person, always the brownest person. And, you know, and that's still kind of, that's still really the case, you know what I mean? Like it, it hasn't changed very much. Um, so I think this idea that you are, you are very much supposed to be here that was kind of what the value system was. And I guess in my household, my parents, and especially, you know, we're trying to instill, especially my dad, who was more of like the emotional um, stronghold in that way, was trying to instill in us, like you belong here, like your story's important and your story's valid. So for me, my yoga practice now as a guide, as an instructor, is super, super, super important to me to make sure that there's as much inclusivity as possible. You know, there's a lot of inclusivity with body size and and age and ability, you know, all of that stuff, I really, that really is like my, I think my life's work. And then when people get in there and when they feel like, okay, she invited me into her class and maybe I have, my knees are gone, I can't get up as fast or I'm bigger or, you know, whatever. Once they get in there, then it's like, okay, well, how can you move for your body um, to know that you're welcome here in a way that actually like nourishes, nourishes the person who's moving, you know? Um, so I think that all those things kind of play in. So I guess a sense of like belonging, belonging is, was really, really important. Um, and I think that just, yeah, that to me, that's one of the biggest, you know, I think issues with everything. Um, but, you know, because we're talking about yoga, it's still, it's still a really big, you know, issue. And I think that's what, for me, what I, the feedback that I get from the students is that that's what they really gravitate toward, that they feel very much seen and um, accommodated and also celebrated at the same time. And that, that's really, that really is important to me. That's really beautiful. And I definitely felt that, you know, I got to take your class because when this quarantine started, my friend Melissa, Mm -hmm. who has been taking your class in person, said, oh, you should join us. (laughs) Yeah. And she said, you should join us for a Zoom class. And I was pretty hesitant because I just thought, I don't know how that's going to translate. Like, I may as well just kind of do a YouTube video or something. But then I decided to... (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I'll try it out. And it was such a good class, and I really did feel that sense of inclusivity and belonging that you're talking about. And even as someone who is kind of like an outsider, because um, you had a lot of people who take your your regular classes and know each other through that, Um, but I very much felt like you were so attentive to everyone, and even when you had the kind of sharing circle at the end you gave everyone a little break and then we came back together for just to kind of share how everyone was doing if we had any tips for each other and it just felt very much like a community and a very caring space and that was really special and I was like oh that that is really different from just putting on a YouTube video and and that can still be a really nice thing but it was it definitely felt like you definitely create a very special space so thank you for that thanks for thank yeah thank you i mean i, I that you know you kind of came right like at the beginning i think of the court of like the so you know shelter in place thing stuff and so i think that you know ben and, and melissa have been really great i mean melissa's kind of multiplied like her friend group just keeps expanding and, and i'm always so thankful when when um you know people share word of mouth and really it's like not even word of mouth, it's like word of heart like people when people share something it's because they have an experience that actually like resonated with them. And, um, you know, being in the service industry, that's kind of like all it's about. It's about creating like memories and things that people can hold on to. They can taste and smell. And, and the fact that Melissa and different people kind of share with their friends and then, you know, this gets to happen. This, this conversation gets to pop off. It's, it's really, that to me is like so dope. And I am very lit up by that. And I'm really happy that you came and got the chance to, you were so honest too. Like, you know, sharing about what you're going through and um, with essentially a group of strangers, you know, with the, with the, with the exception of Melissa and, and maybe a couple of others. So that, that really was powerful to me because as some people, I think that even now with some of my favorite teachers that I do, you know, still practice with on like IG or, or, you know, on glow and, and different platforms, sometimes it can still feel like clicky. You know what I mean? It can mm. still feel like, 
we all know, oh yeah, we did this training in Switzerland together. Or we did this training in Germany. So we're like this group who does this and, you know, and, and it can kind of feel like, oh, you know, it can kind of still feel that way. Like I literally have been practicing with one of my favorite teachers. Um, I don't know if I should say her name. She's, <laughs> she's amazing. But at the same time, it's been really challenging um, because, you know, on the IG live video, like people are like, you know, you can constantly have a feed of people that are that are talking to to her throughout the class and she does a great job of kind of speaking with those people and you know referencing the jokes and stuff like that but it's a lot of like this community and us and we did this and oh yeah we practiced here and mm. and i kind of feel like that's part of the issue for me and i'm like i love this teacher i've been like i've had looked at her dvds and i've been literally like she's one of my favorite teachers and it's been like seven years of me kind of and she's a youtube you know sensation in that way too but i think one of the things that i struggle with is like this idea still of like exclusivity you know what I mean like whoever had thousands of dollars to fly to Germany or Paris or Switzerland or wherever these trainings were being held gets to be a part of this kind of crew and they get to have inside jokes and that's kind of what gets you know puttered around and it and um you know that's cool but it's like you know it makes you it makes me feel like dude am I the only black person in this chat right now and I'm like leaping through and I'm like I think I am and I feel like I'm the only black person here. And I feel like I'm also not, you know, I don't feel like I'm being seen or, or spoken. My name is not being spoken. So, um, that's like a hard thing. You know, it's almost, I don't know, that's a tricky thing. And, and I think that that's the other thing I really love about a lot of different teachers who I was, you know, love like Sean Corns, one of my favorites, mm. you know, there's like, there's an approachability and I've actually had the pleasure of training with her because she did justice pricing. And like, mm. I was able to like attend one of her trainings because, she made that happen for, for, you know, for people who don't have oodles of money, you know, coming in or, you know, but who obviously have the hunger. And I got, you know, I got a chance to like sit with her and build with her and, and listen to her teachings. And she's just hella real. Like she curses and she's, you know, makes mistakes and is accountable and like asks hard questions and has uncomfortable conversations and like talks about the uncomfortable things in life. And that could be because she's 50 plus now. And a part of that is just like a lot of the vanity and a lot of the, you know, superficiality of life, I think shift, you know, maybe with wisdom, but I really, I really mess with that. And I really appreciate that approach as a teacher to not feel like you're somehow, you know, untouchable or you got to go, or you're like too buttoned up where you're actually not opening up, which is kind of, I think, you know, to be honest, like for me, part of my journey with, you know, teaching at this, at this time is like, you know, now that I don't have the confines of like teaching at a studio or the YMCA where you can't talk about certain things, you can't say certain things. Now it's like, I'm in my house, you know, practicing mm. with my same students. And now it's like, well, listen, like, can we really talk? Can we be real candid with each other now? Like, can we talk about the political climate right now? Like, can we talk about, you know, the shootings that are happening? Like that's a part of my life outside of teaching. And more and more I'm wanting to, I'm feeling the like pull to like share, like, the whole part of myself as opposed to like maybe just the yoga teacher that shows up and who's always in a good mood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Oh man, you just touched on so many things I wanted to ask you about. Um, Oh, good. good. I'm, <laughs> I'm almost like, I don't know where to begin, but yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm curious what it was like for you to find your own style and your voice as a yoga teacher, because to me, hearing you describe like being the only person in the room who like being the tallest person in the room, being the brownest person in the room, being the curviest person in the room, like it takes a lot of strength, I feel like, to to keep walking into the room um, or to walk into the room in the first place. And I can imagine it could be really exhausting to and like lonely and um and also just, it's so hard to do anything when you don't feel like you have a model for mm. it. Or it can be harder when you you really crave, like, a model that feels close to you. Like, oh, okay, this person is someone I can look to because we have some similarities and they've done what mm. I really want to do. And there are all sorts of ways that, you know, you can find similarities with someone. But there are some, like, like you were saying, there are real tangible realities about access um mm. and I, so i'm curious about what your journey was like of of going to classes eventually deciding to become a teacher and training and finding your own voice and mm. approach just like what that was like for you mm. yeah I, I really loved yeah kind of 
the recreation, like how you kind of sparse, like parse that out, you know, like that I, I never would have, I think, come to the realization or, or maybe put it to words that like those earlier years of yoga, I mean, really not, I mean, even still now, obviously, um, you know, those earlier years of yoga were very lonely in a way, you know what I'm saying? And I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting framing for me to, to be with, because I think that, you know, to be a hundred percent candid, which I'm totally like, I'm 420 friendly. I just have to be, con- you know, candid about that. Um, you know, I went to Wesleyan and, you know, it was a very pot friendly school and, and plant medicine is really how I, how I, what I call it now or flower medicine or, or what have you. But I think that that, that really helped me a lot of the times with yoga and going into, and going into the studio and being able to feel comfortable and being able to feel like, okay, I'm going to like zone out from like all of the different like physical representations in the room that none of them look like me and the teacher and what she's talking about doesn't maybe not resonating with me. How can I like still like follow what she's saying and, and focus on my breath and how can I really like, you know, be in this pose. And I was able to, I think with, you know, often a lot of the times I would like wake up, you know what I mean? I was serving and bartending and sleeping late and then I would wake up and be like, okay, shit, I got to go make it to my one o'clock, you know, Sunday, one o'clock yoga class in Williamsburg. I'm in living in Fort Greene at that time. You know, I, I hustle, I roll my joint up and I hustle and I like, you know, take a couple of tokes and like jump on the G train, transfer, make sure I, and like get in my zone. And, and it kind of, the class kind of started then, you know, it started then because I also had a lot of social anxiety and I think still, you know, when I'm out of balance, I'm, you know, my challenges manifest more as anxiousness and anxiety, which is kind of excitement. It's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of times it's like, I'm excited for class tomorrow. So maybe I'm anxious, you know, but at that time I didn't really have a lot of the coping tools. So for me, it was like, all right, let me, you know, let me toke. And then that'll kind of like make me feel cool and calm and chill. And then I can just, you know, get dressed and come in and sit down. And I really loved the anonymity, honestly, of, of the studio experience. It was lonely, but I kind of liked that. You know, I kind of liked, you know, not knowing anyone in this room and coming in and like getting these amazing downloads and then taking another class right after that and getting another download and then just like going on my merry way and then like having my day and then into the night. That was really cathartic for me because I felt like, I felt like in New York and in Brooklyn, you know, I was making it on my own and, and I had, but I had a very hyper social life, which I think, you know, is very typical for people in their twenties. It's like, you have the most friends ever. You have like five, this, like 10 best friends. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't know who to call your best friend. There's just so many of them. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're going out and you're not everyone, but I think at that, in that part of my life, it was very much about the social experience and also being a server or turning into a bartender and, and getting into that world. It was very, very like overwhelming the social element. You're dating people, you're, you know, having all these interpersonal experiences. And so for me, it was really kind of like a respite a lot of the times to be like, no one knows me here. I don't have to talk to anyone. I don't have to, they're not going to tip me. I don't have, they don't, Mm -hmm. they're not paying me money to talk to them and engage them. So I, you know, it was really nice to be like, I don't have to fucking talk dude for like an hour and a half, four hours, like no talking. And that, that I really liked that because my, my lifestyle was very, um, was very vocal and very social so in that way, it actually was, it was positive, but, um, you know, to, to your, I guess, former point of like the loneliness, not being a great thing was, yeah, just kind of, sometimes you're just like, okay, if you tell me to tuck my tailbone one more time <laughs> and my tailbone is not going to tuck, my ass is always going to be there. It's always going to be round. It's always going to stick out. I'm not doing it because I don't have a strong core. It's how my body's shaped. Like if I got that messaging one more time, I felt like, dude, I'm going to lose it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I got that messaging so many times. Like, tuck your tailbone, tuck your tail, scoop it under, tuck your butt in more, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. you know, do this. And you're like, that's not how my body's shaped. And and like, so I think those are some of the moments where I felt kind of isolated. And, um, but I felt like that kind of, I kind of charged it to the game. You know, I kind of felt like this is just, this is, this is what it is. And I had been coming from that, that, that background of, you know, being, a you know, one of very few out of all, you know, basically an upper crust boarding school. I've been, Wesleyan was very diverse, but you know, you're essentially still like, you know, 20% of the population at Wesleyan. So I kind of was used to having to callous myself a bit to fit into these places. Um, and I think it was just more of that. It was more of that messaging of like, okay, you know, you don't love that part of it, but 
you'll just extract that like a surgeon and keep and you know keep everything else. And so I kind of started to do that very early on, like, you know, just what can I parse out that really is helpful to me? And then what can I kind of step over? But, you know, that's not really healthy either. You know, there's like, there's a level of suppression. There's a level of like numbing, numbing out that has to happen too. Mm. Yeah. And it's like you were talking in the beginning about everything belonging and being able to hold at the same time, you know, the cherry tree blossoms and yeah. the... And the cityscape, right? All together, yeah. like, and the messy, hard parts of life and the beautiful ones, too. And so having to fracture yourself in the yoga studio, like, okay, I'll shut off this part of my brain, you know, or I'll shut off yeah. this part of my feeling. Um, that you've become the yoga teacher that wants everything to belong, right? So that's really beautiful. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the yeah. yoga teacher that you needed. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Wow. Really great point, Victoria. That's, that's, I think that is kind of like, that's the book right there. Like the yoga teacher that I always needed, you know? Um, I think, yeah. I mean, I wonder like, you know, even for you, I wonder like, you know, in your industries and the things that you do, like, I, I feel like, is that the case for you too, where you kind of have to like imagine yourself in, I guess you all, we all kind of create what we, I guess what I'm trying to say would we create what we, miss in a way mm -hmm. or like our mind eventually does rest like it's like water i mean i'm a pisces so i always think about water but water mm -hmm. you know it, it can't help it. it it finds the cracks and things it can't help it it goes as far down as it can and it goes into things and pores so i feel like the mind and the spirit does that too it's like if there's lack the body and the mind just goes there and tries to like fill it in somehow and patch it in and so you know i was wondering like for you like do you find that like you also create these spaces and ways of being that, that, um, almost like help you heal or help you, I guess, will acknowledge. I mean, I don't know if that's the case for you at all. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I love that metaphor of water because I think just this podcast is totally something that I felt like, I, I feel like I need these conversations, you know, to hear about, um, you know, the, the tagline of the show is growing up, getting wise and trying to live a good life because those are all things that I struggle with. Like I want to, um, I'm interested in learning from wise people and and like the, I'm interested in hearing about the actual like messy parts of growing up as a human being, which I think goes on throughout our lifetimes, but specifically yeah. in the young adult period of like, like what you're describing of being in your 20s and having just graduated and having this very social life and then needing some respite, like you said, and also feeling maybe some of that loneliness or or having to turn off different parts of yourself to fit into places. Right. And like so, so often I feel like we get we hear from people about once they've arrived somewhere and they've like become mm. the person that we look up to or we want to learn from. Right. You know, or we just hear them speak from that part because we talk to experts and like ask them about their field. And I'm always just like, well, I feel like so confused all the time, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. you know, just a sensitive person who just sees how messy and painful and confusing things can be and has a million questions. So like that's mm. this is my space to just like ask those questions and hopefully feel other people's humanity and their questions and their the messy parts and the gray parts for them of growing up and becoming who they are. So. Wow. wow. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. I love that you have created that space. I mean, yeah, like this, this very show, like you said, it, it is, it is that too, like you becoming, you know, someone who, who almost could speak to the younger part of yourself and like, you know, she can have the floor right now to like ask all the questions. I mean, I think that's such a, I mean, if more of us could do that, I think, um, and not, like you said, just get to the place where like, I'm a CEO of this and I started <laughs> this company and I own this company and it's like, look at me and I'm leaning in and it's like, yeah, but like, what were your humble beginnings? Because mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite phrases that I still you think about now and that, that kind of is one of my North Star phrases is like a true leader knows the way, goes the way and then shows the way. And mm -hmm. I think that that's always like so important that like, if you know, if you have an idea and you're like, yeah, this is how I should be. To, this is how I'm going to become a famous rock star. But you don't actually then go the way. 
but then you want to like show everyone the way yeah. from not having gone it. It's like people often kind of take out one of those steps or they'll go, they'll know the way and then go the way and then never show anyone else and just be like, I'm this. And like, you got, you know, they'll you know BS you and kind of blow smoke up your skirt and make themselves seem like they're the guru and they're mm-hmm. the person who is chosen. And they just have the it factor and all these kind of ideas of exclusivity of like, I arrived because of I'm special. And it's like, no dude, like, you actually went a certain way and you're just not sharing those trade secrets for some, for some, you know, for obvious reasons. So I feel like a lot of the times we're often missing one of those parts. We either don't know the way or we don't want to go the way or we're too scared or we, we have roadblocks that we can't get past. Or even then we don't really go back and show it. So sometimes we might, people can be very, very successful and be so poor that all they have is money and all they have mm. is like, you know, critically acclaimed, you know, you know, flatterers and that kind of thing because they're not going they're not showing other people so i think that's why like doing these kind of things where you're actually like opening up and and letting your letting ourselves be vulnerable but also like you said trying to help you know perennials people who people who come around i was thinking of millennials but i love that the name of the show perennials it's really a beautiful title i want to ask you about that too but like i think it's just really it's really the big step of it. Cause when you go back and, and every time I teach, I literally am, am showing the way, but I'm also relearning a lot of the things too. Like when I'm mm. doing my sequencing and when I'm preparing my Dharma talk and when I'm doing all that stuff, I'm also retracing my own steps to where I'm at now. And, and I'm having to, I mean, I'm a student just like everyone else all the time. And I really, I really treasure the role of being a student really more than any other role in my life, because I feel like being a student is what is needed for everything, whether it's even being a, a, you know, a a parent or being a child, you have to learn how to do that well. And I think, you know, I try to, I think I try to always have a beginner's mind to have a student's mind, even in these classes, you know, people are just like, Oh, this class is so amazing. And, you know, they, they give me acknowledgement, which I love and I'm, and I try to reflect it and, and be with it. It can be uncomfortable, but it's like, that's my issue. You know what I mean? But I, I always try to like be a student with people because, that's, I mean, that's what it is. We're not, we're not, I know there is no hierarchy. There's nothing that I'm showing you that has never been shown before. It's, it's literally just not the case. And I think that it's really dangerous when, um, we start to subscribe to this idea that there's something completely new and novel that this person's going to break open and show me. It's kind of like, I'm just uncovering this is already within all of you. You know what I mean? Your ability to be calm or your ability to be inclusive and be able to be vulnerable. That's already within you as a being. It's yours. It's your birthright. And we've learned how to, you know, stuff that down and, and learn how to be cold or callous. But we're just trying to uncover that. And um, that that has to be what I'm focusing on is that I'm, I'm literally just kind of helping us I guess, restructure and structure that which we already have in a way that works for the individual. Because I don't, the intelligence that you have, Victoria, or that anybody has walking into a studio of what their body needs, is already within them. I can ask you a thousand questions and never like have, have a pinhead idea of what you actually need that you'll know in a second because you're in your body, you're in your heart, you're in your spirit. So I think more and more, I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, just, I guess be a vet, be a container and kind of, um, just, yeah, be a container and get the messaging. And, and I, you know, before, uh, before I, I teach every class or, or while I'm walking up the stairs to the Y or wherever I'm teaching, uh, one of my, I don't know who it was. And I wish I could remember who told me this, but they were saying that, Oh, they were a massage therapist. It's really awesome. Massage therapist, Tina. And she was saying every time she would start a massage, she would always just like, she's prayerful. So she would like pray for her to like, you know, do the best that she can do what this person needs for their body. Cause she was like having practicing for 25 years, which is like unheard of as a massage therapist. And that really resonated with me. So every time I like, you know, we're doing our Dharma setting, our Dharma talk and people are doing their intention setting. I also set an intention of like, you know, universe, like, please, you know, allow me to, to bring the best class possible for these individuals in front of me. Not who I, not what I planned. And mm. the, the, you know, the, the, the poses that I want to get them into, but like allow me to really do like speak to these, like these people right here, right now in a way that is what they need. And I think that that, that little bit of that little moment for me always just like grounds me in like literally one second. It's just like, okay, I'm open now. Now I'm open to whatever, whatever happens. And it's just like plugging in, trying to plug into the space, I guess more. You got to the heart of this show too, because I always like to, ask at the end of the episode I'll always ask the guest what's something that 
you're learning about right now or growing into right now because I just like to have that reminder that it's not like you've ever just arrived and figured everything out, you know. Um, So I like to hear from people about the things that they have learned and the wisdom that they have and the journey they've been on so far and where they are right now. And also, like, what is still uncomfortable right now or exciting or, you know, new Mm. in your life or what are you wrestling with? Because I don't know, I even just think, like, I like to read different books by spiritual authors or listen to talks by spiritual people. And sometimes I'll read about the lives of some spiritual leaders that I admire. And it can be really disillusioning when you learn certain Mm. things about them. And you're like, oh, gosh, like, (laughs) that person did what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) up until, you know, up until the end of their lives. It's not just like, oh, when they were young, they did this. And then they had their conversion and then everything was perfect. Like, no, these are flawed, you know, messy people the whole way through. Mm. But that can also be, like, really freeing. And Mm. because then it's like, oh, okay, well, if they were – messy and perfect people the whole way through I am gonna be too and they never had it all figured out so I don't have to either (laughs) and in fact I just I won't no matter what so it doesn't mean I can't grow or find more peace hopefully I can do those Mm -hmm. things but yeah the the idea of of being messy and and you know flawed and the way that you are and the way that you aren't and and that is I mean that's me that's kind of like the whole you know, icing on the cake or whatever is like this idea of, um, yeah, like acceptance, the way that you are and the way that you aren't. And I think that it was the, whoever created, um, it wasn't Steve Jobs, but someone else who kind of created like Macintosh or something like that talks about like, if you want to, if you want to have transformation, like here's a, it's a simple formula. You have to like, you know, double your rate of failure. Mm-hmm. And I always think like, you know, a lot of times we're so scared, like, to make mistakes and we feel like, when are we going to stop making mistakes? And when are we just going to get it right as a parent and get it right as, as a, you know, entrepreneur and get it right as, as this? We want to just have things be Gucci. And it's like, if you have, are making no mistakes, that means you're not reaching and you're, not, and you're, there's a level of stagnation that's happening. Your roomie, who I really, really love the things that I've read of his poem poems is like, you know, run away from comfort, like nothing, you know, like, you know, just as an idea, like when he proposed those things and it's like, wow, what would that even look like to run away from this idea of comfort and like everything, me doing everything right. And just knowing that I'm doing it right. And every day I'm doing it right. It's like, what if I actually like stepped outside of that more often, you know, or, or ask my kids when they get older, like every day, like, what did you fail at? And if they don't have anything that they're failing at, it's like, well, listen, you got to try harder because <laughs> if you're just like every day nailing it, nailing it, nailing it, it's like, okay, this is like an egomaniac situation. Like we need mm-hmm. to like, you know, you got to be able to like, you know, make a fool out of yourself. You've got to be able to fall out of a pose and not like completely want to run out of the room. You got to be able to like say the wrong things. And I think in general right now, there's just, you know, this partisan world and, and how things are. I really feel like, you know, we have to be able to like have these awkward conversations and these uncomfortable conversations because anything can be transformed in a conversation. You're not going to die in a conversation. I think when the conversations, you know what I mean? Like I I can tell you the craziest thing and still have and be able to breathe and live right after it. And I think when the conversations are not being had, that's when people actually are dying and being killed. And that's where like, so for me, like just to be able to have the platform, like, you know, for us to be able to speak and, you know, to be able to like speak my heart and mind to, to a safe space, you know, on a weekly basis, multiple, you know, several times a week. It's like, that is such a vascular quality and we have to just keep that vascular nature in ourselves and, and know that, you know, when we've stopped changing, we were dead. You know what I mean? Like that's when the body is like, okay, we're complete here. But I feel like as long as we're living and breathing, there has to be this, um, this, yeah, vascular nature of us, of us sharing and speaking and making mistakes and, and, um, you know, I guess encouraging people when they make mistakes as well, you know, within reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I mean, there's always more, but you know, you have to, I don't know, compassion for the oppressor. It's like this whole idea, but we can like, that could be like part two because there's so much (laughs) that, that that I just have on my mind around, um, you know, the state of things and, and, you know, trying to figure out who I am 
what what piece of the puzzle am I, you know, with, you know, even with the, you know, the most recent shooting of mm-hmm. Ahmad Arbery, like, you know, back in February, but obviously became more visual in the last few days. You know, it's been like a really, it's been a really fucking challenging like few days for me. And, um, you know, just trying to figure out, like looking around my life and reexamining, um, you know, how do I move forward? What privilege do I have? What platform do I have? How do I even use that quote unquote platform in a way that um, can push the conversation forward and can actually affect change and, and can have us all be in solidarity? You know what I mean? I think that that's kind of the main thing is like, Sometimes in the class, I'll be like, you know, do this, you know, you know, this is, you know, breathe, you know, do this twist or whatever. And then I'm like, you know what, let's actually do the, the less intense version of this pose. And you know what, let's all do it. Not, let's not let, not just let this person do it because they have a back problem or they're mm-hmm. older or they, it's like, you know what, for solidarity, let's all just do that version just so that we know what it's like to like hold space for people. Even if it's like, well, I, I know how to do it this way. I can balance and do this and put my head, my leg behind my head. It's like, yeah, but that's not what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. We're doing the version that everyone can do. And I think that, and then people actually are like, huh, I kind of prefer the version that everyone can do. You know, I, I liked that. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's like the yoga world is really a training ground. It's like, it's a training ground and it really matters a lot because it's a safe context for us to make mistakes and for us to be scared, be angry, be, you know, have fun, be playful. And then we try to like, you know, keep that going once we leave the studio, once we leave our mat, we try to like, you know, bring that into our families and into our, our loved ones and into the people that we don't even like, you know what I mean? Like, that's really when the real work begins, you know? I'm so moved by what you're saying, because I feel like you're talking about adapting for the person in the room that others might just ignore or be like, oh, sucks for you that, you know, mm-hmm. you can't do X, Y, and Z. And to actually, again, to have that sense of wanting to offer belonging and to truly, truly make people feel like they belong, not just like say that or advertise Mm -hmm. that you are inclusive, (laughs) but to actually walk that walk and and to actually put the responsibility on people who maybe are able to do more and say, actually, you're going to do it differently today. You're Mm -hmm. going to adapt it's like, ah, yes. <laughs> yes, that's yes. like, that's very uncomfortable for people, I think, sometimes. At least they might end up finding that they like it, like you're saying, but it's not what we're taught to do at all in our culture. Mm. We're taught, like, you have to be better, faster, stronger, and only the strong yes. survive, and it's dog eat dog, and pull yourself up by yep. your bootstraps. And... Bootstraps, which is not even possible, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And to actually have a culture shift in the yoga studio, it should be a safe space for you to be able to be your whole self too. And the number of times that you haven't been able to and probably still, like you said, in the present, it's it's really wonderful to hear that you're finding more freedom in your home, like being able to teach classes from your home and finding more freedom to bring your full self and your authentic self and that full and authentic self is actually someone who can bring your students to better understanding of their world and their place in it and not have to be silent Mm -hmm. about things. So for you to be able to say, I want to talk about this shooting that just happened of another Mm -hmm. innocent black man in -hmm. our country or, or woman or child. Um, Yeah. And actually, like, it's our responsibility to think about that. Like, yoga isn't just a place to be cozy and comfortable <laughs> and to show off how great you are, right? Exactly. Like, that's actually really putting those principles into practice of, like, thinking about unity and how we exist together and how we can be more flexible and stronger and sit with discomfort and all of that. So. Yes. I just will say thank you for that. And I know that it must be really difficult sometimes and that you must carry a lot. So thank you for doing that. Wow. Thank you for that. That was, yeah. Thank you for that acknowledgement. Thank you for that like beautiful painting of, of um, all these like cross sections of responsibility and, and also, um, you know, doing the, doing the real work. I mean, that you know, you have tough conversations, I'm sure too, and, and being able to like go toward it, I think um, 
that's like the hardest going toward it is, is the hardest thing. And, um, like when we sit in that room together and, you know, I look out for me, it's always interesting looking out and seeing like, you know, mostly, you know, Caucasian American people that are looking back at me. And sometimes I, you know, I do wonder like, you know, what, what is it that they, what am I representing to them? You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. And what is it that like, who am I in this space? And, what is it to be a token and what what is it to like, you know, um, be something that soothes people's sense of guilt and what is it to like be proximity to blackness and what, you know, all those different things come up for me for sure. And I think that they don't come up a lot because I really do try to be in the work and, and just, I don't see, I'm like, Oh my God, this some, some of my friends maybe who come from Newark, you know, might come to might be like, okay, like, it's not like a very diverse group of people, but, you know, visually the optics for them may not read that way. But for me, I don't, I genuinely don't see it that way a lot of the times. Most of the times I really do see the diversity in the room because I, I know the individuals and I, I meet people and I'm like, I know everyone's life is so complex. And I think I do tend to have more of a, um, a utopian mindset, even as a child, I have like a naivete that I think is really important to hold on to, um, even in a world that can very quickly make you want to feel jaded and resigned and cynical and all that stuff. I think for me, that's a quality of myself that I try to really keep present too, as a sense of like, you know, that beginner's mind, but also being able to see things, not just optically, like, yeah, this is like, there are lots of white women in this room and like, yeah, they all live in Montclair, but that does not make them the same. You know what I mean? And, and I really feel like the people who do gravitate toward my classes are people that people that, um, that really do seem beyond the fact that this is the black, like some black lady with dreads telling me, you know what I mean? Like whoever doesn't really rock with me, doesn't rock with me. You know what I mean? But whoever can kind of like see my spirit and see like my soul and see beyond circumstance and beyond um, race, class and gender. I think those are the individuals that do tend to gravitate toward me. And I think that's important. I think that the more we share our values and not in an oppressive way, not in a way of like, this is right and dogmatic and you all should follow my thing. Not, not that, but when I think when we share our soul it's better to do that because the sooner you do that, the more clearly and more quickly you're able to kind of like pull the tribe that will actually support you, support the vision that you have. Um, and of course, that same methodology we could use for negativity. I mean, you can have people that are supporters of of very, very dark and heavy energy and and violence and supremacy. And you can and people can kind of talk about that and then really quickly find their tribe. You know what I mean? And do a lot of damage. So, yeah. but I think that you know. I, I think that that's why it's important to like share, not like from an egotistical place of like, ooh, let, let's all like, let's let's all be like the really advanced yogis. This is level three yogi, and let, let's all be like egotistical about it because you'll just draw that type of energy. But for me, it's like, it's just, um, you know, one of my friends would say, if you or it's a famous proverb, African proverb, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. And I think that. I always like, that's one of my other like North Star things that I come to is like, okay, if I'm trying to do something quick, cool. Then if I just want to like make a one hit wonder, then then yeah, screw it. I'll do this and I'll do that. I don't care who I, you know, maim on the process. I just want to get this money. And then you have people that, that that is their focal point. And I think that, but if you want to go far, like I want to live to be 110, you know what I mean? I want to have an illustrious life. I want to have a beautiful arc. And I want the people that are with me to also have a, a full life, whatever that looks like. And I feel like we want to go far. We want, we want to really um, have a lasting memory here. So for me, it's about that togetherness. And when the ego is too much in the picture, it's all about separation. It's all about fear. It's all about, you know, pulling apart. And so there's a constant like checking in of the ego where it has to be like, let's like, let's, let's fall on our ass. Let's be humble. You know, let's listen. Let's be with, like you said, the uncomfortable conversations and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just the heavy stuff. If you're not, I always say this, like, if you're not up to anything, if you're just like, I want to kick back and chill for my life, then yoga is not for you. I mean, it's just not like, I mean, the yoga that I'm into, it's not for you because this is like heavy duty, heavy lifting, energetic and emotional heavy lifting. It's not easy. Even if you're in your in a wheelchair, it's not easy because we're going to go into these like crevices and we're going to do things that are like, yo, I don't want to be with that. But it's like, okay, then like, you know, how can we be with that? You know what I mean? So if you're up to, you know, things and then this is, to me, this is the work yoga is really, um, yoga again points to the self. It's, you know, it's kind of just a, it's a tight, it's an arrow. It's all pointing to the same things, you know? 
Um, I do want to ask you though, Victoria, like why the name perennials or like what's mm. the science behind that? I, I really like a teacher named Richard Rohr, who is a, he's a Franciscan priest and um, okay. he's got lots of books. He's been on podcasts, he's on YouTube, but um, he is really interesting and he talks a lot about like perennial wisdom just like wisdom passed down through the ages that kind of, like you were saying before, as a teacher, you're not sharing anything new. That's kind of what he talks about a lot is like everything, the wisdom that we get from different teachers is like ancient and new. It always feels like it's ancient and new at the same time to us or, you know, it's like coming from this stream, like to use the water metaphor, like the water is ancient, but you're never stepping in the same river twice kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, so he I would hear him talk about perennial wisdom and the perennial questions, like these questions that we that humans have been asking forever. And so I just kind of liked the play on perennials, on perennial yeah. wisdom and perennial questions and millennials <laughs> because... Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also I liked it because... Like I said before, like I did kind of think of this first as kind of like you were saying, like a podcast for my 22-year-old self when I first graduated from college and I was like super mm -hmm. confused and going through a breakup and and having such a hard mm -hmm. time. But I was reading all these like books and things for people going through like a midlife crisis, like, you know, <laughs> like someone going through a divorce yeah. or changing their job. But I was only 22 and hadn't, you know... Yeah was just starting my adult life and so I wanted something like a source for asking these big questions at the beginning of adulthood I guess um wow and so that's where it began <laughs> the name comes from yeah that's really yeah it's beautiful you've done you've done a great you know it's been such a it's been so dope to like talk with you and to know like yeah like you know to be able to listen and and be heard and and have that interest and the time to do it. You know, a lot of times when, you know, we try to speak to people, it's like, you know, it's like 10 minutes after class or something like that. People have to go, but it's nice to have the time to like to talk about this thing that I love. Um, Cause I, you know, especially now with the, with the shelter in place, I really am not seeing other teachers where I'm not really, you know I mean? Like mm -hmm. that, that part is very much missing. So there's not a lot of, um, for me, I haven't been experiencing a lot of community as far as like mm. being a guide with other guides necessarily. I'm more like, it's more a little bit more voyeuristic. It's more like, okay, well, I'm watching people and I'm listening, mm. but to have the, 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 the back and forth is really, I'm finding such a beautiful experience. And it was really, it's, it's, it is really amazing to be able to like sit and be with you and, and like share these things. Um, and I just, I'm so thankful. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that we got to do this and I'm so grateful for your time because I know that you have two little ones. I know how hard it is to do anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and right on time, the door just opened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so that last question that I like to ask people is, um, what are you learning about or growing into right now? I am definitely growing into like you know, I have, you have the phrase adulting. Mm -hmm. I feel like parent parenting should be like its mm. own thing. And like, I'm like learning how to be in the parent parenting world while adulting, like while still being <laughs> the person that I was before. And these children came out of me. Um, and so trying to, you know, I'm definitely growing into that. And it definitely feels like a really itchy skin sometimes. Um, that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so that's that's the challenge for me a lot of the time. But also, I feel very, very, hold on, baby. I feel very blessed and lucky to have that. So I'm, I'm definitely growing into that. Growing, yeah, definitely growing into the parenting um, and growing into um, this, like, laying the groundwork for the second half of my life, you know, like, who I want to be, like, in my maybe like post child rearing years I feel like the very beginning like embers are starting to be like the little flecks are starting to kind of spark so I feel like I'm starting to create the sparks for that like when you're in your 20s and your teen your teen years you're trying to create that spark for your 30s and for like the years where you're like making your career and doing all that stuff and, and dating the people that you want to date and really now that I've 
quote unquote am doing those things, I'm trying to create the sparks for like what is what does that part look like after that? You know, like mm-hmm. after some of my like vanity things have fallen away and mm-hmm. you know, and you know, who am I gonna be then after I'm not even thinking about who I'm dad dating or married to? Um, so yeah, I feel like that's the other thing that I'm going into. Well, thank you so much again. I hope you can have uh, some rest tonight before class tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much, Victoria. I really thank appreciate you. you. Right, Good night. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit the Moon by Paul Finn.